1: A top-secret, raccoon-operated laser satellite with
0: nuclear capabilities. A team of domestic terrorists
1: hell-bent on revenge. An undetectable moving headquarters held hostage. Welcome aboard the Holiday Express. Or as I like to call it, Raccoon Railways. There's only one problem. Smallwood, the name sounds familiar. The Virgin, from Raccoon Creek Campground is back Ah! the raccoons and they're smart ones hold on and how do you know that story of my life this christmas you can roast some chestnuts i never want to see another raccoon again you can leave cookies out for santa oh oh, holy but don't feed the raccoons This is just the beginning Killer Raccoons 2 Dark Christmas in the Dark Looks like I've bitten off more than I can choo-choo
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LPN Show Recorded both in Los Angeles and New York City We're just, you know, here to hang out Have a good time Alright, talk to y'all after a while
1: Hey, what's up everyone? How you doing? Welcome to the LPN show. I am Ben and today's guest. I am honored to have with me a man you may have heard about if you've been listening to the show over the past month. Homeless perhaps, but a man of many trades, a man of many passions, and a man, dare I say, of many talents, Travis Irvine. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show, man.
2: Thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks for housing all my stuff while I'm temporarily homeless. I always
1: appreciate it. No problem whatsoever. I'm happy to do it. I missed you when you left, but I was upset when you came. Isn't that weird how life works? Where it's just, it fully grew back into, oh, I kind of liked having Travis as a roommate because you were nice and you would clean and you would cuddle the dogs when I wasn't there. You know? Not bad. Having homeless friends. Absolutely. And we had a good run
2: there. Obviously, you lived in the legendary last podcast network. I guess we could call it the Roundtable of Gentlemen apartment there in New York City. I think everybody...
1: Yep, 656 Metropolitan Avenue, Apartment 1B. Don't torment whoever has moved into that place now because they will forever be tormented by the ghosts of improv past, the ghosts of stressed-out, broke-ass comedian past. So no matter who moves into 656 Metropolitan Avenue, Apartment 1B, it'll make Scrooge look like the luckiest man on earth because you won't just be visited by three ghosts. You're going to be visited by probably 20 and they're all big. They're all giant ghosts. And some of them are dogs as well. I believe. Yeah. Some could be dogs. Although no dogs have died in six, five, six, no dogs that I own have taken, Uh, The final leap to dog heaven, and I don't even want to think about it because I was looking at Puffin the other day, and you know he's getting older, Travis. Puffin's getting a little old. He's a little slower than he used to be. He's a little slower than he used to be, and I looked at him, and I started to get my brain going, and I was like, no, it's going to happen one day. And then I stopped thinking about it, and then I remembered, you know what, dogs? They don't die. They don't die. They live forever. I'm very yep. excited.
2: You know, I took so many good pictures of Puffin. He's so picturesque. That little, is that the right word? Picturesque?
1: I think picturesque. Picturesque is a fine word. He's a
2: picturesque friend. pooch. And I just, I, you know, you and Puffin have really, uh, really tied the whole LPN gang together. I, Puffin is really like the official dog. Everyone's got a dog and all everyone's dogs are great. But Puffin seems like he's the official LPN dog.
1: Well, Puffin and I—we both smell the same. We both kind of think the same. You know, it's a perfect—it's a match made uh, in absolute. Uh, it's doggy heaven. It's something. All right, Travis. Well, let's talk about you because you are not just the butt of many jokes, and I apologize for that. That's because you truly are an unbelievable creative, and you have a new film out, *Killer Raccoons* two. And we have to talk about this because this movie, I'm a cameo in it. I I play a radio DJ because, wow, what a visionary you are. Well,
2: you play the Alex Jones uh, radio DJ character, which is what I was very excited about. It was like, well, the only guy who could do that has been. so Absolutely.
1: So Killer Raccoons 2, at one point in 2020, which well, I'm just going to say this year, you know what I'm going to say it is? Wacky. <laughs> Your film was the number one comedy on iTunes, and I am so proud of you. And I watched it. Jackie Zabrowski is all over it. She is unbelievable. Uh, everyone that you cast, a lot of close friends, and uh everyone just nails it. So congratulations on making that movie. And can you talk a little bit about the uh, low budget ways of creating the number one comedy in america
2: oh absolutely i mean first and foremost you know we had a, a an original uh this is a sequel we had we made a trauma movie in college for about five thousand dollars using dead frozen raccoons it was about uh, killer raccoons <laughs> we called it coons night of the bands of night because we're idiot 21 year olds but it has <laughs> uh turned out to be somewhat of a cult classic and we always <laughs> promised ourselves that, look, if we ever make a sequel, uh, a we got to have a bigger budget. B we got to not call it Coons. And right, C right. Um, we really wanted to uh, make it almost shot for shot, and it is almost shot for shot parody of one of the worst sequels I've ever seen, which is Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. The, the Steven Seagal, It's a great. It was a great franchise when it was one movie, and that is Steven Seagal <laughs> and Under Siege one. And then yeah. and they then they put it on a train. And they made Eric Bogosian the bad guy. They had, you know, all the '90s action sequels, whether it was um, Die Hard two, Die Harder, uh, or uh, Speed two, Cruise Control, or Under Siege two. The '90s were all about these computer bad guys. They're gonna they're gonna right. get on a computer. And that's pretty much what it is. It's just shots of a bad guy on a computer and then a bunch of things exploding and everyone's like, oh
1: my God. I liked when our computer bad guys were just being fought by Steven Seagal on trains or planes or submarines as opposed to now when they're controlling our lives in reality yeah i would say jeff bezos mark zuckerberg they're the ultimate
2: computer villains now they've they've got us willingly blowing up our own planes and boats and trains and everything
1: so so you meant you mentioned that the first time you called it because obviously it's about killer raccoons you called it coons obviously being like whoa big killer raccoons there is a great clip online that as a matter of fact we have to play so let's just play this it's christopher lee you're speaking with Christopher Lee, the that Christopher yeah, Lee, by the just, way, the famed actor.
2: Dracula, Sauron, not Sauron, um, Count Dooku,
1: who, who's the other wizard? Saruman. Saruman. So let's play this sound of you getting chastised by Christopher Lee, because uh, I think it's vitally important.
2: Mr. Lee, this is the future Hollywood director, Mr. Travis. He's just made a wonderful movie. And he would like to meet you and have this incredible footage of you. I'm Did always you?
0: very interested in meeting anybody who's made a wonderful movie. Yeah. Because there aren't many of them made.
2: No, I, I understand that. Very few.
0: Do stuff, please. My movies. I don't mind if I eat my banana. Because well, we I'm going to, to sing and I don't eat Yeah. Once. So tell know, them about your
2: movie. And, and about killer raccoons. Yeah. Yes. What's the name of it?
0: It's called Coons.
2: Hmm.
0: You don't think that title would be misunderstood by a certain community.
2: I, uh, You mean the raccoons? I think they no, get it. Raccoons. Yes, coons. Raccoons,
0: yes. Yeah, if you say raccoons. Raccoons. But if you said coons. Coons. That might be misunderstood.
2: Yes. Well, where I'm from, coons means coons. Raccoons. Raccoons, yeah.
0: Oh, but in other parts of the United States it means something else. Didn't you know that? No, I know. Oh, God, know that. yes, when. It means black
2: people. Oh my God. It's It's a South African expression
0: Mm -hmm. in the bad days of apartheid. Mm -hmm. And when Orson Welles played (coughs) Othello, Mm -hmm. because he had to be very very dark as Othello was a moor, well, he's more, you see. Oh, my goodness. One of the reviews was Citizen Coon.
2: Citizen Coon. Yeah. <laughs> like Citizen Toxie. Like Citizen Toxie. You know the Toxic Avenger and the Troma movies?
0: I'm They're afraid f- no. I don't. They're very famous. I know Troma. Well, of course I know Tromwell Entertainment. Are you the owner of Troma? Yes, that's it. Yeah. I know who he is. Yeah. I'm Lloyd. Lloyd Kaufman. His name's
2: Lloyd. Yeah. Which film have you directed? Uh, it's called Coons. Coons. Yes. Is it's it out? I'm trying to explain to you. That out, could be misunderstood. Right really? really? To call a film oh, Coons. A no, I think fine. Tell them where you just came from. I just came from Cannes. Yeah. Coons was at Cannes.
0: Yeah. Well, Cannes. I've been to it twice, and that was enough. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's 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 lunacy. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Uh, it's a market, and uh, 90% of the people there don't know anything about films at all.
1: All right, there that was. Um, so obviously, you know, it must be it must be interesting being scolded by a Hollywood great, um, because, you know, you're just out there, you're trying to do the best you can. You got to, you're a lighthearted guy, you're trying to have fun. This is a movie about killer raccoons, you know, it's, it's crazy stuff out there. But that is one of those life moments where you're like, I can't believe I'm getting scolded by Christopher Lee. This is kind of awesome. It's uh, it, Yeah, and as you can
2: see by the clip, I obviously uh, played it a little dumber uh, than I actually am, but that is, you know, how mm. we felt about uh, the word coons. Was it to us? It meant killer raccoons. It meant raccoons, and that was it. Um, and obviously, we learned the hard lesson. You know, It's like a 15-year Forrest Gump type lesson uh, where we're just like, oh, that means something else to other people. But for us, so, you know, if you if you Google, you search the word "coons" on YouTube. Our movie and only raccoon videos pop up. So I hope to there eventually go. Hope, yeah, we. I hope we live in a world someday where uh, the word "coons" only means raccoons because that's the way it should.
1: So you have, speaking of sequels, you have a history now of filmmaking. You also, I, I would be remiss not to mention, you directed Hail Yourself America, and you are also the campaign manager for my campaign in 2017 for Brooklyn Borough President. 8,000 votes later, 1.8% of the vote. That is the Travis Irvine touch, and we wouldn't want it any other way. It was a fantastic opportunity, and it, it, it is a great documentary. And also, you you just have the new documentary out with Eddie Larson, How America Killed My Mother. That is the name of uh, the Ed Larson documentary, all about his mother uh, going through her struggles when it comes to diabetes, and, of course, uh, her inevitable uh, passing, which is so sad. So you have really been making amazing movies for a long time, in a documentary style, and the first one that you made was called American Mayor. You see a theme, America has to be mentioned in any Travis Irvine documentary. It must have America in the title, or it's not Irvine approved. American Mayor, what was that documentary about? And um, just sort of what was that process like, especially because, you know, we've been talking a long time about getting people involved specifically in local politics. That's what we're nerdy about. That's what we're nerds for. And um, American Mayor, you were running for mayor, I believe, of Columbus, Ohio. And can you maybe start like just tell our audience if they're interested in doing something like that? How did you start the process of running? And then also, while you're doing that, making a film, it ain't easy.
2: It's it's two very difficult things happening at once. And, and like you said, we did it while you were running. Um, and uh, yeah, for me, it all started after college. Uh, I just felt I even in the Bush Cheney era, as you know, you and I grew up in and that's where we went to college. Uh, yeah. Um, at the end of the Bush Cheney uh, era, I was uh, very disappointed with with how American politics was going. In 2007, I felt a, a good opportunity to get involved in my hometown. Um, is it actually It's a suburb of Columbus, Ohio called Bexley, so it's a little small.
1: Ah, yes, it's got about
2: 14,000 people, and uh, my neighbors were dealing with a situation where the local university kept buying up homes in the neighborhood. And then they'd go to City Hall, get them rezoned, and then they'd knock down the homes and build up college dorms. So I'd come home from oh. college, and every year there'd be less homes and more dorms. And you'd think as a college oh. teen, I'd be excited
1: about it. But no. no,
2: in fact, I felt very bad for my neighbors. So that's where that first run for mayor of- You
1: imagine that. You have a home. You've been there for 30 years. You have a wonderful family. you got grandkids coming over. And all of a sudden, a dorm full of stinky, crusty, lovable- college kids opens up in your backyard is immediately and your backyard is immediately covered with keystone lights, natty lights, just a bunch of cigarette butts, panties, men's underwear covered in defecation. God knows what happened on Saturday night. It is a nightmare come true.
2: Absolutely. St. Patrick's day uh, in my, in my parents' neighborhood, where I grew up is no longer the same. It's just littered with absolutely like green uh, uh, glitter everywhere. Just a green uh, skirts. These kids just, and it's like nine 30 in the morning. They're peeing, these kids. They're peeing behind my,
1: my parents' garage. So, well, I say one day, St. Patrick's day, we should do a sober St. Patrick's day really show some respect for the three Irish people that don't drink. I think that would be great. That would be great. I'm totally in favor of that. And if I was elected mayor of my
2: hometown, I would have implemented that.
1: Well, Um, that's probably why you lost. Honestly, that's a really sad thing to run on. No drinking on St. Patrick's Day. That's your campaign.
2: That's my campaign.
1: That's going to work. It'll never work. Not in a college town, but we were very
2: proud of uh, what we accomplished. I did end up because I ran it all and spoke up about what my neighbors were going through. We did indeed stop the expansion of the local university and uh, again you can see American Mayor uh, right there with Ben's documentary and Ed's documentary on Vimeo we got all three of them kind of bundled together if you go to Vimeo Um, but you can go to AmericanMayorMovie.com and see that heartwarming story and that is absolutely the precursor in fact I I was telling this story when you and I were on the road with your documentary back in March
1: oh my Um, god that was amazing by the way our last show that we got to do was in Orlando florida and then i flew back into quarantine new york city and my god the people in orlando were so incredible shout out to riley hey what's up how you doing and everyone was so sweet we loved orlando and we cannot wait to get back there and the comedy club that we performed at was it a zanies a yuck yuck a muckers what the heck you know these comedy clubs are always named like shoe buckets they're always a very (laughs) strange name i forget what it was but the wait staff was so unbelievably nice, and I think we got to help them out just before, uh, you know, things kind of closed down. Although in Florida, I don't think anything did close down. So. Yeah, I don't know if it ever did. I don't know, but they were happy that weekend.
2: We had a great, great tour, and, like, I, I love telling that story. I mean, one of my first times I actually met you, we were showing American Mayor in the backyard of a... Of a, a Creek Mexican, in the Cave. Yeah, Mexican restaurant turned comedy club, Creek in the Cave. Turned bathroom. Uh, where was it in the? Ba- it was in the backyard. I no, think you know. the. Back-
1: I think the the place turned into a bathroom. Oh yes, well that I- which is not. I'm not even dissing it. Everyone loves the bathroom. Technically, it's my favorite room of the house. Yes, yeah, so you spent a lot of time in in that
2: room and the podcast room, and that was it. That's it. But uh, we did meet in the backyard, and you told me how cool you thought it was uh, with the movie. And, of course, we did uh, your top podcast a few times over the next few years. But then when we became roommates uh, at the end of 2014, that really, I think, changed both of our careers and lives in a good way for a long time. And it was, uh, yeah, that last year I lived in New York City in that apartment. We ran your campaign, and we ran it just like the L train,
1: straight into the ground in a baby absolutely although we did save the L train and I think that's what's amazing the single path plan uh was never gonna work you got to have dual tracks. dual tracks dual tracks so Travis I know the whole audience they want to know what's it like because you know there's an aura there's a mythical Ben Kissel aura everyone wants to know what's it like to be around Ben what's it like to smell him I smell again like puffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, what's the vibe like? So can you just tell our audience a little bit what's it like to live with someone with such prestige and such like a broadcasting almost becoming an icon in broadcasting? And then you had a chance to live with me. Um, isn't that nice? It was very nice. One of the highlights <laughs> of my career. I'm still mad I'm- at you about something though. Which which part? Because you were you were revenge clean. You clean a lot, okay? Oh, because clean. I can live in I can but you revenge clean and you God, right, and you what? throw away socks. And can you tell me I've never heard of a roommate throwing away another roommate's socks? Yes, I'm sure I have plenty of socks, I guess. I never thought about it. Wow. But as you cleaned, if something was on the ground that you thought shouldn't be there, which okay, socks I guess shouldn't be there, although they're on their feet and what do feet touch the ground, so maybe that's where they really belong. Uh you would throw away multiple socks. So how many socks of mine do you think you threw away? Well, look, we've lost count at this point. If there was a sock mixed with (laughs) trash and food
2: scraps, that thing got swept up and thrown away, and I... You know, I apologize. I also apologize to our roommate, Mike, for putting him in this difficult situation. I should have kept it. Perhaps you know, just me and Puffman. The only people who ever should have known, I do consider Puffin a person. Um, yeah. you, uh, you know, you were at a point in your life where I think uh, you were just getting careless with your socks. And uh, at that point, <laughs> you, had to, you know, uh, teach you an indirect lesson of uh, yeah. uh, uh, up those socks and put them so in the So that's
1: jar. your classic, but that's your classic, Midwest passive-aggressive. Angry at your roommate, don't want to say anything. Nice guy, but I'm going to start throwing away his socks.
2: Yeah, but also really wanting to help out and clean the house. It's like a mutual. It's like hey, I got to clean, but oh, these socks. Oh, um, I did sometimes make a little pile of your socks inside your room
1: uh, when you when you when you weren't in there sleeping. Um, it was a shame pile. It was a shame pile. Yeah. Have you ever met someone who can sleep more than me? No, you sleep. I'm pretty. Did you sleep in before this? Is that why we? I assume that's why oh, were we you had gonna say we're starting a little bit late today. I was going to note that we started a little late. And you I want to like, make a director's note. I want to make it. Well, director's no, note. it was not. Today was not a sleeping situation. Unfortunately, today is a chair delivery situation. Oh. I have been waiting on this dang chair for about four months, three months. However long I've been in Los Angeles, which, by the way, it's freaking too cold. I'm already upset. I, I, I hate the cold. It's too, too cold. So I'm waiting on my chair today, and I got how, much, how many hours of sleep last night? None. Because Jerry, my dog, he's got a feud going. Jerry, my little beagle chihuahua, he's got a feud going with an outside squirrel. And this squirrel, I'm not even joking. They know what's going on. He knows how to get under Jerry's skin. He ruffles all the right leaves in the trees. Jerry is freaking out. The squirrel goes down almost to where Jerry could grab him. If Jerry jumps very high and Jerry's a pretty good jumper. And so that feud was going on all night. I got about two hours of sleep in between barking. And now I had to wait for a chair to be delivered. So usually, however, yes, you are correct. It would be a rest related thing because (laughs) people my size need to sleep more or we die. That's true. And that's why I never you always let a sleeping Ben lay.
2: Yeah, let them lay right there with the doggies and you just clean around them <laughs> and you sweep up. And if he's got socks, you put them in the shame pile. And uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's it. But no, I love your new house. I, You know, I there's something poetic um, about, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, obviously, I lived in New York with you. Three years ago, I moved my stuff out, moved back to Ohio. I ran for governor. We made killer raccoons, too. Well,
1: talk about that, too. Talk about running for governor. This is actually a great story. Travis Irvine, he got 80,000 votes. And I know this really happened because we were at Politicon. I can't believe all of this was earlier this year. I believe Politicon was earlier this year. It wasn't. It was a year ago. It was last year. It was last year. Oh, my God. What's time? Yeah, it was time. Time's not real. What is time? Made time not real. So we were at Politicon. And uh, we were staying at this uh, nice little hotel there by the downtown Civic Center. Politicon, by the way, it got kind of taken over by Trumpers, but it was pretty fun. Uh, We got to see James Carville go against Sean Hannity. Although James Carville, all he did the entire time, for those that don't know, for those that aren't super nerds, he is the raging Cajun. Uh, He is a Democratic strategist. He worked with the Clintons very closely. He's about 99 years old now. The entire time he was talking with Sean Hannity, or supposed to be debating Hannity, who just is going through his rage stuff and getting his pops and applause breaks because it's pretty freaking simple stuff Um, at the end of the day to get an applause break by saying stupid things. Trust me. I've made a living off of it. Uh, but Carville, he was just watching the LSU freaking football game the whole damn time. He was watching college football and he stood up at the end of losing this horrible debate and he says, LSU football, LSU football, LSU football. In fact, he was booked on multiple stages
2: to debate multiple. He had to debate the, the Young Turks people. He had to debate Sean Hannity. I really think this guy just got his, his check, went to the bar, got a bottle whatever, whatever, both drinking in New Orleans, and he just watched the LSU football game all day and just checking in. Yeah, LSU football 15
1: points. 15 points, and then he would kind of argue with people. But Politicon, it should come back. Hopefully it will, and I think it will be. Uh, We were in Nashville for this last one, which was incredible, but I think it's going to go back. It's moving back to L.A. Absolutely. Going back to L.A., which makes it easier for us. So that's fair. I think we will be a part of it again.
2: We had a great time. It is, like, nerdier than Comic-Con, which – I, I appreciate it. Oh, it's much it. nerdier.
1: It's not quite, it, Politicons just kind of smell strange. I, I don't even know what it is. It's a, uh, there's something about political fervor that creates kind of a, uh, it, it's an odor that is tough to put your finger on, but there's definitely something there. But anyway, talking about Politicon, because we were at the hotel, we were hanging out at the hotel bar, we were getting ready to go out in Nashville for the night. We were all dressed to the sevens, looking real Nashville 10. And I overhear a conversation. Oh, Travis Irvine, I voted for you, good sir. A man with his wife, very upstanding couple. They said they both voted for you. And I thought that was so amazing that you randomly met these people in Nashville, despite the fact they voted for you in Ohio. You got 80,000 votes. What was the percentage on that? 2.3 or something like that?
2: Oh, no, it's classic uh, Kissel numbers. 1.8%. 1.
1: 1. 1.8, baby. That's what we're pulling in. But that is a great experience. So how was that in 2018 running for governor?
2: Well, anything Post 2016 is not, uh, you know, it's not our grandparents politics anymore. It's all it's all the Trumpers. It's all Trumpism. So, Ohio, I've got to explain to people, you know, it's not like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan anymore. Ohio is no longer a swing state. We're deep red. And of course, what happened? We're a lot like Indiana. I honestly think that Republicans have done such a bad job running the state of Ohio over the last 20 years with a super majority, mind you, um, that they've made it bad enough that enough young people don't want to stay in Ohio anymore. And I got to admit, even that's myself, you know, L.A. is certainly more appealing than uh, trying to create a new entertainment industry in Ohio. Um, Right. And of
1: course, you're an Ohio boy. So if if Ohio loses you, they must have done something horribly, horribly wrong.
2: That's right. And I'm taking my 80,000 voters with me. We're all coming to Ben Kissel's house.
1: Whoa, come on over. Take care of Jerry for me. Find (laughs) this frickin squirrel. We got to find this squirrel. We gotta find this squirrel. Although it's probably cute doing its own squirrel thing. That's the that's the problem with dog fights. I don't hate what the dog is fighting either. I love them both. Mm-hmm. But at the, some at some point, the dog's got I, I, the squirrel's not barking. I'm almost more mad at Jerry.
2: Well, I gotta admit, Jerry and Puffin's relationship is hilarious because Puffin is really just trying to mind his own business and then Jerry comes around and starts nibbling on his fur all the time. I'm like, Jerry, you gotta stop that.
1: That's why I'm Puffin and you're Jerry. Exactly. Jerry is either just very let late, him sleep.
2: Very asleep. Yeah. I uh I I like Jerry. He's he's grown he grew on me. We we got along real good there, but I'll always be a puffin' a puffin' man deep down.
1: So we bonded over our love of politics, had a great time over there at Politicon. You ran for governor, and then while you were doing that, you were writing Killer Raccoons 2. I remember when you were writing that living with me in Brooklyn, as we lived together in perfect harmony, despite the fact I was missing so many socks. <sighs> You were working on this screenplay for a long time. Can you talk about, uh, just for any, anyone out there who hasn't seen it, by the way, watch it. It is a great, this is uh, all of ever everything said in love. What, what kind of, how would you say? It? It's a B movie. It's like a great B movie. It's like a trauma. It's, it's, it's how do you describe these kind of movies where you're like, you're watching it and you're like, wow, this is obviously a low budget movie, but it's done in such a fun, campy, self-aware way. It's, it's, it just hits that nerve where, um, it's just fun. It's just, it's silly. It's goofy. All of the raccoons are taxidermy raccoons, but the way that you do it, it really works. The way it's shot is unbelievable considering how quickly you had to do it, where you had to do it and when you had to do it, which was the middle of the freaking Ohio winter. Uh, yeah. you know, you called in every favor that you had from a lot of our friends I mean, talk about that process for someone out there who wants to make a fun movie, which it it is going to be fun when it's done, but the process it can be hell,
2: oh yeah, it's a grueling process i mean you're absolutely right, you saw the beginning and the end of it, the very beginning was me watching Under Siege 2 over and over in our non-stop. living room. Non-stop. Non-stop, probably hundreds of times. Yeah. And literally, because I wanted it to be a scene-for-scene, scene, almost shot-for-shot shot parody, it would involve me watching a scene in Under Siege 2, hitting the pause button, rewriting the scene with raccoons in it, and then hitting play again. And I had to do that <laughs> several times over. So you saw the very beginning
1: of the process. It's just unbelievable that you, co- it's like copying homework from the dumbest kid in school. <laughs> <laughs> because you're like under siege, too. This is the movie that we need to do point by point by point. You could have done the Big Lebowski, but that may have gotten a little sticky.
2: That would have gotten way too much sticky, yeah. And, and of course, I will say you said they were taxidermy raccoons. They were dead, frozen raccoons. That's what okay. we used for the first one. It's way more affordable. They're $0 as opposed to uh, $600 to taxidermy. So
1: That's one of those little cheats.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a biology uh, professor at Ohio State who told us we could do that, and he was not wrong, and it was <laughs> a very fun phone call. We got all of our dead frozen raccoons. I'll never forget on the first. How the hell
1: did you get those?
2: Yeah. On the first movie, you know, I went and met with this biology professor. Uh, I, you know, left thinking like, well, dead frozen raccoons. That's how we're going to have to do it. I went home, had Bloody Mary's there with my dad and his uh, friend who is a biology professor. And I'm literally lamenting to them about how I need to get all these dead frozen raccoons. And I'll forget the biology professor. He drinks this Bloody Mary. He licks it out of his mustache. He's like, oh, you need dead frozen raccoons? And can get you as many dead frozen raccoons as you want. <laughs> and that is how it all started. I called a guy named Dirk up in a <laughs> Delaware County. And I said, I need dead frozen raccoons. How he, many? We, we got six small ones for the first movie, and then a big 40-pound uh, big mama raccoon that we, <laughs> that eventually was so heavy for us. Because you know it's like a messed up Muppet show. It's like we're just all holding these dead frozen raccoons, bobbling them above our heads. <laughs> And the mama was 40 pounds is so heavy that we couldn't get a a shot of how big she was because we were like right there in the shot so we ended up having to get a zoom in close-up of this uh, giant raccoon wearing a a pearl necklace and a crown
1: and uh, so we
2: didn't make that mistake for the second one on the second one i literally called dirk and i was like hey dirk uh, is this dirk and he's like i'm dirk and i said hey remember you gave me dead frozen raccoons 12 years ago uh, for my movie. And he's like, oh, yeah, how'd that go?
1: And I'm like, great, we're doing it again. Whoa, back in the saddle. Absolutely. So what lessons did you learn? Were they more frozen this time, or were they lighter raccoons? How did it work?
2: They were lighter raccoons, and um, we dressed them all up in little uh, elf outfits because it is a Christmas movie, and they're yeah. little henchmen, so they all have little machine guns and uh, <laughs> little elf outfits. And what we learned is they become very interchangeable. Um, You know, I think one of the raccoons probably is on screen more than uh, some of the others,
1: but uh, the star and every time every movie has a breakout star and you really don't know who, who is it going to be going in? It's just whoever turns it on when the camera is pointed at their face. Absolutely. So, we we
2: pull it off, and that's that's the process of making movies. You know. How the, long
1: was the shoot? How long? I I know it was a relatively short shoot, right?
2: Uh, principal photography. We went about two to three weeks. Of course, our buddy Ed Larson pops in. He popped in there. And he was really mad at for you a Why? Because his shot took forever, or yeah, uh, because
1: the shot took forever, and it was four degrees.
2: Yes, it was you, know is? <laughs> you know how fat Ed is.
1: You know how fat Ed is.
2: I assumed the f- layer of fat would keep him warm. Like Santa. no, I'm
1: I'm a chubby monkey as well right now and i'm telling you right now fat freezes faster than muscle okay. so you're surrounded you're like living in an igloo and you're the igloo you're the igloo sir you're the igloo so poor fat ad is out there and poor you have you ad. have him working for subway sandwiches uh not even not even just not even I think ham just... sandwiches made by your mother absolutely yeah and you have him damn near dying. you understand how unhealthy all of your friends are you I can't do. just be putting them in these positions travis it's up to you as the director to make sure that your actors are safe, health, he- healthy. Uh, they don't have to be happy. They're actors. They can be miserable. Who cares? But they have to be healthy and safe. Yes. And that so is. So, next, what- so Killer Raccoons 3. Mm hmm. When trash Panda's 3,
2: we're going to change the name again. Trash Panda's 3 ooh. moon based on the moon. It's going to be a sci-fi. Holy hell, I Trash Bandits on the moon. We've hit horror, we've hit action and then next we hit sci-fi. Absolutely. The raccoons take over the earth.
1: Dude, that is absolutely incredible. Have you been starting to work on that already? I have been watching Star Trek
2: three search for Spock over and over and I hit pause and then I put raccoons in the scene and then I hit
1: play again. So this is going to be star Trek three, the search for Spock, but this is going to be of course with killer raccoons.
2: Yeah. And I'm going to mix in some aliens three because that's really fun movie. Um, and return of the Jedi is honestly, I want to have some good raccoons kind of like the Ewoks. So maybe some good raccoons, fight The bad raccoons. So uh, you know, it's all a, a, it's all a work in progress. As you know, these things take years and years. So at this point, we're just happy to have the second one out just in time for the craziest year in American history. That's the only reason, as you mentioned, we were yeah. number one comedy in America for two weeks because there were no other comedies.
1: <laughs> hey, you know what? It doesn't matter because you were it. number one. And I'll definitely take it. Um, so you've worked with a lot of different kinds of people. And I know... Um, this uh you've had a lot of different kind of guest stars you worked with lloyd kaufman uh, very closely with trauma who are some of your favorite folks that you've worked with or someone that you've met because you know also in the world of politics i know you know roger stone i mean there's some Speaking of horror characters and monsters, my God, it's not in it's not in the films. It is in the American political system. Who has been somebody that you worked with where you were like, this is just freaking unreal that I get to work with this person. Oh, like in a good way or in a a good way. In a good good way. way. Let's be positive or a bad way. was who was the worst.
2: Well, I mean, obviously, you, I mean, you saw me while I was working there. I worked for James O'Keefe, the hidden camera guy. Oh firm.
1: my God, he's a. That schmuck. was a
2: little stressful. That was yeah. a stressful job to have. So I don't, you know, James at-
1: O'Keefe. For those that don't know, he was uh, he kind of got on the map. What, what what put him on the map again? Was it uh, the Nayroll yeah, thing Acorn. or the uh, Acorn? Busty. Acorn. He dressed it up. He dressed up like some kind of pimp, and then he went in there and. It basically just, I don't even know what the point is of this person's entire existence, to be honest, but you worked with him for a little while doing the devil's work.
2: Absolutely. And that, that was while we were living together. I think I, I wrapped up that O'Keefe job in 2016.
1: Haven't looked back. Well, right after that, you ended up working with the dude who created that show. Uh, what was it called? C- Cops being assholes. What was the name of that show? Uh, Cop- Cops being bullies. Uh, live PD you worked with Dan Abrams. Oh I,
2: that's I worked with Dan Abrams that's
1: right Dan yeah. Abrams from Dan Abrams from live PD, one of the most dystopian shows that's ever existed. It almost makes these cops seem as if they're Supermen on camera and not uh, public servants, which is what they're supposed to be. They should be changing more tires and uh, not uh, devastating lives. But you worked with Dan Abrams. this guy. what was that like? Because he seems to me like if, if Crisco was a person. It would be him. He seems slimy.
2: Yeah, I, that's a fair way to put it. Um, Dan Abrams, for me, he was just very cheap. I mean, he paid me $15 an hour, uh, which, I, according to Bernie, is a living wage, so that's nice. Um, well, for but, a high
1: school student, yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. For, but that's the thing. For a journalism professional, obviously, as you know, I have a degree from Columbia Journalism School. I got to pay those loans still. And uh, I remember Dan Abrams had me standing outside. It was the beginning of your campaign. It was the beginning of 2017. I remember. I was outside hanging out, Outside of CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News in the freezing cold of January, February, in New York City, literally waiting for news celebs to walk by. And I'd run up to them and be like, ah, what do you think of this? Ah, Roger and by ah.
1: news celebs, no exaggeration, people like Jeffrey Tubin, <laughs> who we always have to make fun of. Yes. Uh, people like, like you were hunting down like Chris Cuomo. Yeah. And just being like Cuomo. Come on, and he told on? me,
2: and Chris Cuomo told me, no way, and he knows Dan Abrams, so <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was just like okay, I don't know if they like each other. The television yeah. news industry is pretty, uh, it's pretty fickle, ugly Hollywood, they call it, and uh, I think it might be Hollywood. more mean spirited and more backstabby than Hollywood. I
2: think I would agree, and you know the the best thing though I will say for media is I covered the White House uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner. Of, in 2017, that was the first year Trump did it. Wow, it was, that was
1: wasn't was that the last one that they did?
2: It was, the, yeah, because Trump didn't show up, and then so 2018, I think they just started to not do it. Um, so that was one of the last ones. I was on the red carpet there talking to Don Lemon and all those, you know, all those hot celebs getting the hot oh, scoops.
1: yeah, yeah. So, isn't that interesting, though? Yeah, I do think the problem with the white house presser, like, it's just the odd. It's not even the people on stage, it's the audience. It's yeah. because they're just all such assholes and they're all so smug. And then all of a sudden you get to see them laughing. And as a performer, you're just like, okay, I'm missing. I guess I'm going to go like, do my little dance for you all. There's something very kind of sad and gross about it, which is why when Nixon did it, all those people protested, all the women held the signs and the Nixon got all mad because they were like, stop the war in Vietnam, Vietnam, and uh, Nixon was like, get them out of here. They're not being fun anymore. And that's the <laughs> one thing as a performer, it's like, do I even want to go on stage and make these assholes laugh? I would rather just yell at them a bunch. But, of course, Michelle Wolf, I think uh, a comedian friend of ours, I think she did a fairly good job of trying to do a little bit of both, which probably canceled the entire event. So isn't that nice? We know the person who ended uh, that little uh, A little performance there.
2: I love it. I think it was absolutely necessary. You know, it was a tradition when it was fun, and then it became not fun. So you got to kill it.
1: Basically, the Dan Abrams job is you were supposed to be another layer of fat to the celebrity of television news anchors. This is, I think, one of the beginning. This is the beginning of the beginning of the end of journalism when it comes to these journalists thinking that they're more celebrities. That's why Glenn Greenwald, he's still the best because he sticks true. Yeah. Uh, To whether you agree or not, he is telling the truth the best that he sees it is he doesn't go uh, to either political party, which is why he's kind of a journalist without a uh, home at this point. Um, But when it comes to like the celebrity viewing of TV news. It really has made everyone so much dumber and not to diss anything that any of us have done or yourself in this situation. But Dan Abrams idea was literally like, let's turn them into celebrities. And I think with this entire thing started when they started taking real TV news journalists, air quotes, real TV news journalists and putting them in movies. Yes. When you would, when they would be like, oh, we're watching Anderson Cooper here on uh, in the movie Dave or whatever the hell. And then all of a sudden, the lines got so blurred, and then we have a reality show president. I feel like we need to start getting back to compartmentalization. You're in TV news. I don't want to see you on TV in any other capacity. You better just be – I don't want to see Don Lemon guest starring on Shit's Creek. Like, right. It doesn't matter to me. You're supposed to do one thing and one thing only. I mean, take it from me, a person who does everything, but – you know, that's just I, – I don't know if I do it well, though. So
2: Well, you do a great job, of course, but you're right. Long, are the, long gone are the days of Walter Cronkite and Hugh Downs and Sam Donaldson, you know. Uh, they were all actual reporters, journalists. They'd ask the tough questions. You know, it was a different Barbara. time. Think,
1: give, give, me, give me the Walters. Give me Bart Walters.
2: Walters. Absolutely, uh, I, and, and, and so many others. But when we got to 24-hour news – in fact, I was listening to a segment today on NPR. It's like, when did we start to blur the lines between actual journalism, right, right. where technically Fox News from about 10 to 4, 5 o'clock, they still report the news. And then it turns into edit- editorial for four to five hours. And that's what skews the lines. And I think that, you know, you start to see that every network now. And I think that's what's starting to you know, that's where we start to get these terms of fake news and, and you start to see everyone's biases.
1: Right. And you know what's interesting necessarily objective. when it comes to like the fake news or the attack on the First Amendment, we technically have more First Amendment now than ever before when it comes to, um, I don't want to say access to speech, but when it comes to having the ability to have your speech uh, spread throughout the galaxy, it is easier now than ever before. I really don't think as far as... Uh, journalism goes i think a lot of good journalists get a bad name because you have you know the fox news msnbc cnn's of the world going out there and claiming that they are media they are news and then when anyone attacks them they're like you're attacking the first amendment it's like no i'm just attacking you because i mean i worked at fox news i know how these i know how the i know how the bread is is baked is that how they say it and people need to be very skeptical and watch it for entertainment although i can't even do that anymore So with all the madness out there, it's important, again, have a massive grain of salt, be a big old deer, and just lick some salt before you watch the TV news. Take it with a grain of salt. And then, you know, mix it up, diversify, because it's so ironic. We talk about Fox News parents, but there's also, as Travis always says, he has an MSNBC dad who really believed that, like, the Russia investigation, remember two years where everyone's like, it's going to be done tomorrow. Mueller's coming, and they wore T-shirts with the German Inquisitor's face on them, which, as a German, (laughs) makes me feel very uncomfortable because, uh, you know, I'm never going to follow anyone named Mueller too closely because they can flip on you. Any time, they can flip on you and then... uh, it's not so fun uh, to be on the other side of a Mueller investigation. But two years, your dad really thought Trump is going to be gone in like 48 hours. Every day, he's like, tomorrow it can happen. It's crazy the brainwashing that happens. And maybe it is a certain generation that, more, that was more susceptible with TV news. But now you look at social media and stuff. I think everyone's susceptible. Nobody's, anyone, no one is in, impermeable to being penetrated by misinformation.
2: Absolutely. I, I, you couldn't have said it better. I do think, you know, big news and political nerds like us, we, we get our news carefully, right? I mean, you mentioned Glenn Greenwald. I still follow Glenn Greenwald. I have friends who are journalists who no longer follow Glenn Greenwald. They hate Glenn Greenwald. They think, they think it's too controversial. But I like a guy who's going to go out there and, and get fired from a, a news outlet he, fi- he started. You know The what Intercept, I mean? yeah. Yeah, I mean, they basically had to part ways. And I think that's one of the things, at least that well, I learned. You,
1: well, I guess, it's ad, I guess it's all based on ad revenue, right? So these corporations sure. are really just at the end of the day still financing the message, no matter where it is. Right. And they've gotten their grubby little hands into everything that was free when the internet, back when we still had an option to make it great, And it was going to be like the bastion of freedom and the bastion of like the new society. And of course, uh, perhaps humans ruined it. But also the fact that all of these companies at the end of the day are still on the exact same. uh, They are still predicated on the exact same financiers as television news. It's still all about the oligarchs cash coming in at the end of the day. So you got someone like a Greenwald who maybe has a controversial opinion here or there. Sometimes true. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm sorry, it's still not good enough for our corporate overlords. So we're going to have to let you go. We're right back to where we started. The free internet never really came to fruition.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is where we're at. That is where we're at. And I I think you said it very well that we are at a point in time, luckily, where the first amendment is so accessible, you know, each person with a phone, they can be a journalist on the scene, getting the pictures, getting the video, letting people know what happened. And I think, you know, that, that's a, a, obviously something I, I really took to heart there at Columbia Journalism School, because even in 2012, they were teaching us that the technology is changing and now journalism is more accessible, right? We can all be reporters,
1: I'll never forget when I was in 1998. Oh, my God. Let's get in the way, way back machine. I was Sister Susan Bundy. I went to Catholic school. Sister Susan Bundy. She used to pick her nose and eat it in the middle of class. It was very fascinating. She had Delicious. a lot of snacks in her desk as well, a lot of Twinkies and things. Ooh. Fun lady. We had typewriting class, and she would tell us, she would say, oh, typewriting. We'd be like, well, what the hell are we doing here with typewriters? She would say, oh, you never know. Computers could be a fat. You never know when it's all going to end and it just simply has not ended and uh, continues uh, to go forward for better or for worse.
2: You put it, you hit the nail on the head like you always do there, Benjamin.
1: Well, there you go. I don't, well, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, and I'll wrap it up here in a second, but uh, not to get too serious, but I know there was another recent uh, police shooting talking about camera phones and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about this? We'll probably discuss it uh, on Abeligan's Top Hat as well. But um, just talking about that from a journalistic perspective, how, thank God that people have camera phones to expose uh, what's been going on in this country for so long. Um, but what the hell happened recently in Ohio there? Was that in Columbus?
2: It was in Columbus, Ohio. It's it's um, We've been dealing with it just like every other city in America. Um, young black men unarmed, mistakenly. Uh, shot by uh, law officers. And we had one that is now national news. Um, They did have to uh, call in. uh, Luckily, honestly, fortunately, they called in the Department of Justice and the FBI to investigate it. Um, So that, you know, it's another unarmed 23 year old. Was Uh, this
1: and was this recorded or was this not recorded? This one was not recorded. Okay. Um,
2: But it, you know, the nice thing is, again, is that the truth network went into action right away. Yeah. And the family made sure that they got out a statement before all the local law enforcement could fully cover it up. So we are dealing with that.
1: So the dude was walking into his house with Subway sandwiches. Is that what happened? Yes. Yeah, so into his family's ha-
2: house with Subway sandwiches. And I believe the explanation is that the cop thought the sandwiches were guns. So, are these cops um, on acid or something? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Lord, if they, honestly, if, cop, if cops were on acid, they'd
1: shoot less people. I maybe. think that's
2: fair. They'd probably be terrified of their own power, which is yeah. the way it should
1: be. Maybe, maybe. I don't know what the hell. I mean, I to my knowledge, Subway isn't forming. I don't think it's Second Amendment month at Subway where they're forming all bread in to look like a long gun. I don't think they're doing that. Um, so this cop probably, uh, we will have to address what's going on there. It's unfortunate though, that there wasn't footage so we can have a definitive answer because obviously everyone's going to be trying to save their own hide.
2: Right. Well, and that's, you know, it is just a reminder that amidst all the craziness of 2020, you know, the great shows, the impeachments, the COVIDs, the killer raccoons too, the ups and the downs. We still have some of the same systemic problems that we have had for decades.
1: Absolutely. Can you believe impeachment was just earlier this year? Feels like years ago, but yeah, it, it was feel, in- the anyway. whole freaking thing. It's insane, man. Yeah. It's insane. And earlier this year, again, we were also traveling, showing off the documentary, Hail Yourself America, and we'll have to go on tour next year. We should play. American Mayor, Hail Yourself America, and we got to bring Eddie Toons out. we got to bring Eddie Larson out to show how America killed my mother. It'll be, despite the fact that it sounds like it won't be a fun night, it would be a fun night. We would have a good time.
2: Great time. And I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to continuing to fight for what we feel is right in America. We still got more work to do, but I look forward to doing it alongside good friends
1: absolutely travis irvine thank you so much for being on the show buddy anything else you want to let the audience know elevator pitch elevator pitch
2: folks if 2020 has got you down turn on the dumbest movie of the year killer raccoons 2: dark christmas in the dark you will forget your troubles for about 90 minutes and then we can get back to the dark dark christmas in the dark
1: i love it jackie zabrowski steals the show you gotta watch jackie zabrowski She is just absolutely unbelievable. Okay, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's LPN show. I was chatting with my friend Travis Irvine. It was very fun. And Travis, you're going to be staying with me a bit in in, uh, January before you move into your own spot. Absolutely. I'm moving in with Brooks Whelan. What could go wrong? Brooks Whelan, of course, from Saturday Night Live fame. And now he is working, I believe, with ASICs.
2: I don't know what he's doing. I'm just hope uh, he. I think it's he, the shoe
1: company. I think he's getting paid in shoes to run marathons. Oh boy! Now I gotta throw. I now I gotta sweep up and throw
2: away his shoes.
1: Well, you better you you. Well, Brooks is probably. You know what? I don't know if Brooks is cleaner than me. I'm We're not gonna sure. Find out. I'll we are gonna find out because and no sock is safe when yes. Travis Irvine is cleaning
2: monster that's fair, what that's a fair. Monster I'm you are cleaning up corruption like sucks what a monster
1: all right everyone well hail yourselves we hope you're doing okay out there and uh, you know thank you so much for sticking with us uh, throughout this entire i wish it was uh, we're gonna call it a flandemic eat a little flan have a little fun during the pandemic have a flandemic um all right everyone hail yourselves we'll talk to you soon this show is made possible by listeners like you